What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizikcom socks. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the 104 6 and 1 podcast. Uh, today, I am going to be just briefly talking about a few things that I found interesting throughout the week. Uh, I hope everybody had a lovely and happy and healthy Thanksgiving. I know I did. Just nice to spend time with loved ones, you know, kind of relax, eat some food, watch some football. And uh, speaking of football, let's just dive right into the week. So we had the Texans and Lions game on Thanksgiving Day along with the Cowboys and Washington game and the Pittsburgh and Ravens game has since been postponed two additional times. It was slated to be played on Sunday and then it was slated to be played on Monday or no, it was slated to be played on Monday and now it is slated to be played tomorrow which would be Wednesday at 3.30 or 3.45 in the afternoon. Very, 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 very weird. But as COVID continues to plague the world, it also continues to plague the league. And I believe the majority of Baltimore, in terms of their playmakers, has tested positive at one point or another. If I'm not mistaken, I know Lamar is out, J.K. Dobbins is out, Mark Andrews is out, as well as Mark Ingram. So I don't know what's going to happen in that game. Uh, as long as Pittsburgh stays healthy, and I mean away from COVID, I believe Pittsburgh may or may not run away with this game. Just due to the fact that Baltimore had their first practice of, what, I think 11 days or something like that. They haven't practiced in almost two weeks. So, I have no idea what's going to happen there. But, I mean, that's, uh, that's just an interesting subject. We knew that COVID was going to affect, you know, sports. But I just, I did not expect it to continue to push back and push back and push back games. Causing complete reschedules, missing the bye weeks, um... And I, I have no idea what's going to happen as the league progresses forward because if this just happened to a team, it, it this was the Tennessee Titans outbreak all over again. But for Baltimore, and since Baltimore already had their bye, they could not force them into another bye. So the Texans and Lions game was a pretty boring game in my opinion. I watched about a quarter and a half of it, and I just we just saw that the, the Texans kind of ran away with it, and it was 41-25. After the game, I believe Friday or Saturday, Matt Patricia and the GM of the Lions is then fired. In my opinion, very, very, very long overdue. Uh, Patricia was wasting a lot of money on defensive players that ended up not turning out the way that they expected. Uh, Matt Stafford has had an up-and-down year. The signing of Adrian Peterson to try to stabilize that consistency in the backfield did not pan out. Swift got healthy. Uh, on Johnson has not panned out as, as well as they had assumed as well. And, uh, I mean, Kenny Galladay has been hurt all year. So, I mean, the Lions' woes just continue. Uh, Deshaun Watson did light it up for my fantasy team. However, I did end up losing. I don't want to talk about that. I just, for whatever reason, cannot seem to get it going in any fantasy league this year. So, oh, I'm pretty sure uh, I haven't given you guys an update. I'm pretty sure I was on a, a massive roll in fantasy with Isabel's dad. I was. We were at six in a row. We ended up losing due to some late substitutions. Last week, and then we did get blown out this week because Tyreek Hill want to go off and drop 54 points. So uh, thank you to Cheetah. I really appreciate you breaking our fantasy dreams. And now it is a win or go home play in game. If we win, we have sole possession of first place, and we are the number one seed in the in the division. If we lose and other people lose, then it's a whole formula to get into the playoffs. So I'm I'm just gonna stick with the football numbers that I do know. Deshaun Watson lit it up, 318, four touchdowns. There wasn't really much going on the ground. Uh, Will Fuller had 171 and two TDs. Unfortunately, Will Fuller was suspended for the remainder of the season, or should I say for six games, which would equivalent, I believe, to the rest of the season. Yeah, it would be, yep, if I'm doing the math right, four, seven, that's 11 plus six, yeah, 17, yep. So Will Fuller's gone for the rest of the year. 
PEDs. He took some medication in the off season or whatever uh, that was prescribed to him by a doctor. Ended up not being league regulated, so he's been suspended. I believe also one of their top corners has been suspended as well. Uh, I think it's Lonnie Johnson. I don't know. Some it some some other corner got suspended for the same exact thing in terms of PED, so he's out for six games. Very convenient that the Colts play them the Colts play them two times in the next three weeks. So, you know, I'll take the blessing where I can get it. But like I was saying, Houston dominated this game from beginning to end. I mean, scoring thirteen and ten in the first two quarters and then fifteen in the fourth. They just continued to pile it on throughout the entire game. Um they had a decent amount of sacks. I want to say they had about five. They just continued to pressure Matt Stafford, had him on the ground. Matt couldn't really get in a rhythm. He had to throw the ball about 42 times. Although Matt didn't have the worst game in the world, it just was not enough for them to carry it over into a win. So Matt had 295, a touchdown, and a pick. Adrian Peterson kind of having to carry the load. I believe Swift was out. So AP had 15 carries for 55 yards and two TDs. Carrion tried to help out with 46 yards, but it just, you know, like I said, it wasn't really enough for the Lions to really overcome the deficit. Houston's offense just continued and continued to pile on the offense, and the points just kept slaughtering them. Uh, the Washington game, speaking of slaughter, they just handedly whooped Dallas's ass. I mean, Andy Dalton came in there and he did everything he possibly could, but obviously it wasn't enough. Washington having one of the better pass defenses in the league with the addition of Chase Young in the draft and, uh, you know, obviously having Landon Collins back there as well as uh, Ronald Darby and a list of other players that they went and acquired in the offseason. It's just, I really don't know how they're this good and yet they are in terms of defense. The offense... It's weird. The offense kind of obviously ran entirely through Antonio Gibson last week and this week. So it's completely reliant upon him. Alex Smith is obviously coming back off of that terrible, terrible leg break that he had a few years back having, I think, what was it? like? I forget how many number of surgeries he had. It was just astronomical. And at one point they said that they considered amputating his leg. And it was just a scary process. And to show that he has come back and to see that he has overcome those odds and those surgeries and the rehab just shows that anything is possible. I say that with a grain of salt because he is a millionaire and can afford the top and the best care in the entire world. So I say that with a very like thin line because I could never do something like that as I am a middle-class, middle-working, regular person in America. Alex Smith is also a regular person in America, but he does make a bajillion dollars in years that he's been playing in the league so anyway um Alex Smith this this has always been my thing I love Alex Smith as a player I think that he's great I love his story especially like I said with the with the whole you know recovering from the leg injury he's always been a very passive player a very soft in terms of how he plays the quarterback position player he has never been a deep ball threat he has never really been a guy to to sling it to take a risk. He's a let me check it down. Let me hit my my, my third or fourth read. Let me find somebody on a, on a short hitch or a slant. He's not a guy to go in and and run and say you know Terry McLaurin run a pump and go or to you know let's uh, let's run a deep pulse right over the middle of the field as I look off the safety on the opposite side. Alex is just a very slow, methodical, and organized quarterback, and to some extent that does pay off. But I mean. He was playing one of the worst teams in the league, and he only had 149 yards passing. Granted, Antonio Gibson was having such success on the ground, they didn't really have to throw it all that much with what did Gibson have. He had 115 and three TDs, averaging almost six yards in carry. And then Peyton Barber, whenever Gibson needed a break, he came in there and he had 57 yards on 5.2 yards per carry. So the run game was absolutely on fire. So it definitely, you know, they didn't need to put all the weight on Alex. But, you know, I've like I said, I've always been saying this since Alex was in San Francisco. He is just a very average quarterback at best. I would say probably the last two years in San Fran was probably some of his better years. And then the league, the in the year before Patrick Mahomes came when Alex Smith was a chief, he had a phenomenal year as well. But again, playing very conservative and very slow paced football. Uh, Washington is now in second place for the division, right behind the Giants, also at 4-7. and seven. We'll get into that shortly. But the NFC East has completely flipped, other than Dallas being at the bottom. Now, Philadelphia has swapped and fell all the way down to third, but Philadelphia has 
pretty much shot themselves in the foot throughout the entire day, or should I say the entire year, and I'll get into that just a bit later. I watched a couple of videos uh, from Undisputed, First Take, and a couple of other sports casting shows in the morning, uh, just because I did watch the majority of that Eagles game, and I did have a lot of points that I did make with Isabel and her dad, and a lot of other friends of mine that just continued to hate the Eagles. Uh, I believe that there are some some more things additionally behind the bad play of Carson Wentz. But like I said, I'll get into that later. Uh, I'm not really going to go into the Bills Chargers. The Bills did win 27-17. Herbert threw for 300 and something, I believe. Hold on. He had 312, 316. Wow, I was off by four without even looking. Uh, 316 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Austin Eckler came back after that horrific hamstring injury that he suffered earlier in the year. Uh, he wasn't really getting it on the ground, but he did have 11 receptions for 85 yards. So, yeah, the offense was clicking. I believe it was just a defense that could not stop Buffalo. But once again, you know, Stephon Diggs just couldn't get it going for me, of course. Uh, but ironically enough, Josh Allen only had 157 for a TD and a pick. Singletary kind of led the way with 82 yards, 7.5 yards a carry. Zach Moss, 59 yards with 6.6 yards per carry so yeah the run game led the way for buffalo and it wasn't really anything impressive on the receiving end so i'm just going to transfer right over to the next game like i said buffalo does go to eight and three leading the division in the afc east the next game on the slate is unfortunately the titans and the colts game um excuses or not we were missing a lot of valuable pieces deforest buckner was out with covid uh, Danico Autry was out with COVID. We did lose our best offensive lineman in Anthony Costanza with an MCL sprain. Thankfully, he is not out for the year. He's out hopefully about two to three weeks, according to multiple reports. Uh, we were playing to a certain extent without uh, a viable run game, obviously with Marlon Mack out for the year and Jonathan Taylor testing positive for COVID. We had the combined attack of Jordan Wilkins and Naeem Hines. Hines did his thing. Wilkins couldn't really get it going. So, I mean... It's, again, the, the tale of two halves. The defense was just getting destroyed. Derrick Henry did his thing. He had 178 yards and three TDs, averaging 6.6 yards per carry. We just could not stop them on any front. Tannehill didn't even need to do anything crazy. He only had 221 and a TD with only 13 completions. So he did everything he needed to do to beat us. Uh, the secondary was just getting burned pretty much the entire game. And like I said, uh, Derrick Henry just genuinely was smoking us and the offense for whatever reason could not find any type of consistency in the first half only scoring 14 to their if I'm doing this right 35 so defense complete liability offense once again is the struggle we fall to seven and four Tennessee takes the lead at eight and three in the division they lead by a full game and it's just a matter of what are we going to be able to do going forward with our remaining schedule having what is it? I think Houston twice. We have Pittsburgh left and then Jacksonville. Oh, and we have Las Vegas. So if I'm reading this correctly, I think that we can beat Houston depending on how we bounce back. And if everybody can come back from COVID this Sunday, I don't know if Autry or Buckner will be back. I don't know if Taylor will be back. Uh, reports are saying that Taylor should be back at camp this weekend. Um, Buckner, we do not know as of yet. We don't know if he was a close contact or if he showed symptoms. And Autry was out last week as well, so Autry should be coming back this week. Uh, obviously, we'll be out without Costanzo, as I'd stated. One of our, if not our, complete and best player on the offensive line next to Quentin Nelson. But, yeah, Ryan Kelly was also out as well, our starting center. And, it, I mean, the list honestly goes on and on. We were missing a lot of our players that helped us beat Tennessee the first time but they capitalized to do what they needed to do we just look like pure garbage and it is what it is you know we'll move on to the next week and we'll see what happens uh the Panthers and Vikings game actually went all the way to the very end to the wire the Vikings end up squeaking this out 28 27 uh Kirk Cousins looked pretty much flawless I think Kirk Cousins lit it up he had 307 with three touchdowns uh Justin Jefferson once again showing why he has a candidacy to be rookie of the year he had 70 yards for two TDs now without with Adam Thielen being out of the game for with uh, him testing positive for COVID. Uh, he he pretty much took over. And this an, another receiver came out of left field, Ola B.C. Johnson. He had 74 yards as well. So, I mean, uh, they spread it out pretty evenly. I don't know if Dalvin Cook ended up leaving this game with an injury. I cannot recall. Um, 
I don't remember. I don't know if someone said something about that. I cannot recall. But yeah, uh, Dalvin wasn't really doing anything at all. He had 61 yards on 18 touches, only just shy of three and a half yards per carry. So the Vikings just continued to dominate in the air. Uh, the Panthers on the other side of the ball had 267, or should I say Teddy Bridgewater had 267, a touchdown and a pick. Uh, Mike Davis, once again, the run game for either team could not really get it going. Uh, they were playing very, very stout. Robbie Anderson, or Robbie Anderson, should I say, had 94 yards and a touchdown. Curtis Samuel had 72 yards. Uh, DJ Moore had 61 yards, but I believe he actually left the game with an injury. So we'll 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 see what happens there. But this game pretty much was a comeback for the most part on the Vikings part. The Vikings were up by three at half, but Carolina came out of the gate super hot and scored 14 points in the quarter and then scored six in the fourth, leaving Minnesota to have to score 18 to win by one. And they did exactly that. And they squeak out to five and six. Minnesota's, what is it? They've won four of the last five games, climbing back into whatever seems of hope they have in the playoff hunt. Uh, obviously, Green Bay still leads that division at eight and three. So we'll just have to see what happens on that front with Green Bay dominating Chicago on Monday night or Sunday night football. Uh, sliding over into the next game, uh, the Browns squeaked by the Jags. Mike Lennon actually came in there backing up for I don't even remember that quarterback's name. He's completely irrelevant in my opinion. He was coming in for Minshew. Uh, Glennon actually did really good, 235 and two TDs. James Robinson, another candidate for Rookie of the Year. Uh, he's coming out there, and he went uh, and ran for 128 and had a touchdown. He also had uh, five receptions for 31 yards, so he is doing it on both ends. Baker Mayfield, uh, simple game, 258, two TDs, very efficient. Nick Chubb leading the way with 144, averaging 7.6 yards per carry with a touchdown. Jarvis Landry had his, his best game of the year, having 143 yards and a TD. So it really, really is a interesting season for the AFC North. The Cleveland Browns are now 8-3. and three. Jacksonville falls to 1-10. The fact that they have one win and knowing that that is against the Indianapolis Colts is going to sit with me for the remainder of the season, probably well in the next season, knowing we actually gave them a win. Very, very frustrating to say that out loud, but it, it really, it is what it is. Uh, like I said, Cleveland wins this game 27-25. to 25. Uh, Going right into the next one, the Giants versus the Bengals. Bengals without Joe Burrow. I didn't expect the Bengals to even keep it this close. The Giants squeak it out 19-17 to 17 and take sole possession of the a NFC East. Uh, Daniel Jones actually leaves that game in the third quarter with a hamstring injury and is expected to be missing, I think, about two to three weeks. So he may be put on IR. I haven't seen any report that officially placed him on the injury reserve, but we will see what happens during the week. Uh, Colt McCoy did come in first action in a couple of years, so that was nice to see. I was a Colt McCoy fan back when he was in Texas just because I did enjoy watching him play. Wayne Gallman did actually uh, carry the load for the Giants, not on a consistent basis. He did end up with 94 yards and a touchdown, but it was only at a mere 3.9 yards per carry. So it's a matter of the Giants found a way to will their way to win. They scored more points, and the Bengals just could not get it going whatsoever. I mean, again, no Joe Burrow. Again, they did not have... Uh, Joe Mixon on the field again, so it was solely on Gio Bernard's shoulders. Uh, Brandon Allen started at quarterback for them with only 136 yards, a touchdown and an interception. So, I mean, T. Higgins led the way for the uh, for the Bengals with 44 yards receiving and a touchdown. Tyler Boyd sitting on my fantasy team. He has been a huge, huge, huge star for me, and he only went out there and had three catches for 15 yards. So thank you for nothing. Um, A.J. Green, another no-target game, no receiving yards, so... Uh, the Bengals fall to 2-8-1, going to be a top-five lottery pick once again. Hopefully get some assistance for Joe Burrow on that offensive line. But, like I said, Giants win this one 19-17. Uh, the Cardinals and Patriots, that was a close one. A questionable call at the end of the game in terms of a late hit that put New England in prime field goal position to win the game at the end of regulation. But I am not an official, and I will not make a comment on that. I think it was horrible. Uh, Arizona loses this game 17-20. Uh, to 20. New England climbs up to 5-6. and six. Arizona falls to 6-5 and five on a two-game losing streak. Kyler Murray just seemed to be getting kind of rushed, hurried in every aspect of the game. He did not play very well whatsoever. Kyler Murray only had 170 yards in the air, no touchdowns, and an interception. And he only had 31 yards on the ground. Thankfully, we benched him in fantasy, but once again, it made no difference because Tyreek Hill scored 54. Whatever. <laughs> 
Uh, gotta love those matchups in fantasy. Little tangent here, uh, where you have certain players in your leagues, and then you play against them in other leagues. So you're torn whether or not to cheer for them. I have Kenyon Drake in my league with Isabel, Isabel's dad, and then I played against Kenyon Drake in a league in which I only lost by 15. So I was very upset when Tyler Boyd did not play well, and then Kenyon Drake played well, and obviously it was a cheer and then wince and cry later. So that was very odd. Uh, yeah, I was kind of pissed off. Larry Fitzgerald, he did not play. He contracted COVID later in the week, so he's out. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins was matched up with Stephon Gilmore for the majority of that game, and he only had 55 yards receiving. On the opposite end, Cam Newton, don't know how you win a game with only 84 yards passing and two interceptions, but the, once again, the Patriots found a way to win. Damian Harris could not get it going. He only averaged 3.4 yards a carry on 47 total yards. Cam Newton found a way to do his thing, like I said, and uh, run the ball at least, which is the only thing he is good at this season. He had 46 yards, averaging 5.1 yards per carry, and James White got it done in the end zone, which was the only two, yeah, the only points that they scored in the end zone. Yep, because they scored. Yep. Yeah, I can't read, but those are the only two positive touchdowns for New England, and you better thank James White because no one knows where he's going to go next offseason unless New England pays him. Uh, going into the next game, the Dolphins manhandled the Jets. Not even going to waste my time there. Tua was hurt. Ryan Fitzpatrick comes in, leads them down the field pretty much the entire game. And, uh, yeah, the Dolphins win that game 20-3. to The Dolphins climb up to 7-4 and and continue to chase a playoff hunt. And the Jets fall to 0-11 with a... Looks what it seems to look like they just want to guarantee that Trevor Lawrence pick. Uh, there was some scrutiny later in the postgame interviews. Adam Gase was... Uh, scrutinized for play calling when he continues to say that his offensive coordinator is the only only person calling the plays when multiple reporters claim to have seen the offensive coordinator standing on the sideline with no clipboard arms crossed and what seemed to be his headset up and Adam Gase talking into the microphone into multiple situations where Sam Darnold was looking over into the sideline in my opinion Adam Gase is a liar in my opinion Adam Gase needs to be fired now I'm not a rapper I might be on Tuesdays but yeah, the Jets are just a walking dumpster fire and they need to really figure out what's going on there because they have a decent amount of talent in terms of, you know, Sam Darnold, uh, Mims, uh, LaMichael P. Ryan and, and, and a number of other people. They did let obviously Le'Veon Bell go and they had to pay that dead cap money. But nevertheless, the Jets, I have no idea what's going on there and it's crazy. Uh, the next game is the uh, Las Vegas Raiders getting absolutely annihilated off the face of the planet by the Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons scored handedly 43 points to the Las Vegas Raiders 6. I have Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst found a way to not get into the end zone somehow with all these points being scored. I don't know. I didn't expect Atlanta to come out here and completely annihilate the Raiders after they played so well against the Chiefs last week. So once again, the Raiders continue to go into this up and down spiral of are they good or are they not? Are they better than what they are or are they just mediocre? You know, the world may never know. Uh, the Saints and Broncos game was an interesting one as all of the Denver Broncos quarterbacks in the quarterback room tested positive for COVID-19. So they were unavailable and they had to call up a wide receiver from their practice squad to play quarterback with no reps and or practice who hasn't played quarterback since college. And that was atrocious. He had one total completion and he had two interceptions. So the Saints kind of manhandled this one and ran away with it 31 to 3. Uh, Taysom Hill continues to start until Drew Brees gets back from the fractured ribs. Taysom Hill only had 78 yards in the air and one interception. However, Latavius Murray led the way with 124 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara is nursing a foot injury and barely practiced all week. He only had 54 yards. Once again, another fantasy player of mine that just did not turn out very well. And Taysom Hill also led the way with 44 yards in terms of uh, quarterback rushes, and he had two touchdowns as well. So... Let's just move on to the next one. Uh, the Rams and 49ers. The Rams and 49ers game was probably the most entertaining game of the entire week. Uh, this game was wild. It went all the way to the end with a Robbie Gold field goal to win the game. Uh, Nick Mullins didn't even score. He just put up yards in the air. Uh, 252 with an interception. Uh, Mostert, Jeffrey Wilson, and McKinnon, they combined for over 100 yards together. But still, nothing really crazy. 
the stat line that really jumps out at me is Debo Samuel coming back off of IR, and he had 11 receptions for 133 yards, continuing to show people that he is a mismatch nightmare, and he is going to dominate if healthy. The Rams on the opposite side, Jared Goff showing exactly what I've been saying for a while now. Uh, I'm not really sold on him being one of the elite or top 10 quarterbacks in the league. Another game where he struggles going for 198 yards, two interceptions. Cam Akers led the way on the ground with 84 yards and a touchdown, averaging 9.3 yards per carry. Scary. Uh, Cooper Cup, uh, he only had 41 yards. Uh, Robert Woods had 80, but the Rams, just for whatever reason, could not find a way to continue and keep that going. On the defensive side, the Rams, what is it? They had one, two. They only had two sacks. So it wasn't even anything wild. It was just a tight-knit defensive game, and San Francisco pulls it out to go 5-6. and six. Uh, L.A. falls to 7-4. and four. The next game is the anticipated Patrick Mahomes versus Tom Brady game. And I'm going to get into a little bit more depth as I watch this game more than any other game because I wanted to see this game pretty bad. So the Chiefs came out, and they just punched Tampa in the face. Uh, the Chiefs dropped 17 points in the first quarter. Tyreek Hill had over 200 yards receiving in the first quarter by itself. Broke my heart because, once again, you know, he was the cause of my fantasy demise. And I don't know what happened, but the Chiefs turned it off in the second half. And I mean, absolutely, for whatever reason, just shut down. I don't know if they took their foot off the gas pedal. I don't know if they just completely said, you know what, we got this. It's in the bag. I don't care. For that, you put in Chad Henney, but you didn't. You kept Pat out there and you just pretty much stopped scoring. The Chiefs scored seven points in the second half. The Bucks scored 17 the Bucks barely lose this game with the Chiefs squeaking by 27 to 24. Pat Mahomes ends up with 462 and three scores. Uh, the run game was absolutely non-existent, so that is irrelevant. As I had stated, Tyreek Hill ends with 13 catches, 269 and three touchdowns. Travis Kelsey at 82 yards. Sammy Watkins is the next with 38. It was all Tyreek Hill all day long. The secondary of the Tampa Bay, Bay the Tampa Bay Buccaneers continues to get exposed. Uh, they could not cover the speedster that is Tyree Kill, the cheetah, and he just blew over the top of no matter what corner and safety was in front of him, and he made the best of his opportunities. If you're wide open and you have Pat Mahomes as a quarterback, no matter how far you are down that field, he's going to get you the ball. So that's ne- that's never a question. Uh, on the opposing side, Tom Brady looked human. Uh, he did start to try to will them back towards the end, as I stated, scoring 14 in the fourth. Tom Brady had 345, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. I continue to hear multiple reports and rumors from multiple casters that uh, Tom Brady and Bruce Arians are not getting along. Uh, Apparently, Arians made a statement somewhere along the lines of uh, him and Brady. He doesn't like how Brady's uh, managing the game, especially after they went out and got the players that he vouched for single-handedly and Rob Gronkowski and Antonio Brown. Uh, As I discussed with Kyle last week, shout out to the Home Field Podcast if you are aren't already following or subscribed on YouTube, you can follow him on Spotify, Anchor, and or Apple Podcasts. But Rob Gronkowski has been doing his thing, but the force feeding of Antonio Brown last week and the weeks prior did seem to be a little bit of an issue. Uh, One of uh, Kyle's favorite players, Scott Miller, Scotty Miller didn't really have anything going as well. Another week, zero catches, no targets. So... Mike Evans goes out there and does his animalistic thing. He has uh, 50 yards and two scores. Chris Godwin had 97 yards, but he, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were just you know three points shy of tying this game going into overtime, but it just didn't seem to be possible as the Chiefs find a way to close that game out. Um, the Bucks fall to 7-5. and five. The Chiefs go to 10-1. and one. The Bucks have four or five remaining winnable games, and I believe two of them are Atlanta. One of them is Detroit. And if I'm not mistaken, one of them is the Panthers. No, they played the Panthers twice. It's the Vikings. Damn it. I wanted to say the Vikings, but I was like, I don't think so. So they have four winnable games on their schedule. And if they win out, they will go 11-5 and five and more than likely get a wild card seed, depending on how the NFC formulates at the end. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I would like to see Tampa lose to kind of shut up all the bandwagon Tampa fans that came out of left field and continue to say that Tom Brady, yes, is the greatest winner of all time, but he's not the greatest quarterback of all time. It is what it is. I'm going to move on to the next one because I can get into that topic for another hour or two. 
the Sunday night game was a waste of time. Nick Foles was out with a hip or back injury. I can't remember which one it was. So Mitchell Trubisky had to be under center once again and continue to show why he is not the man for the future. He had 242. He did have three scores, but he did have two terrible interceptions. Uh, Allen Robinson led the way receiving-wise for the Bears with 74 yards and two TDs, continuing to show why he deserves an extension. Uh, Montgomery had his best game of the year with 103 yards on the ground, averaging 9.4 yards per carry. On the opposing side, MVP candidate Aaron Rodgers had 211 for four TDs. Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams continued to dominate as a good one-two punch over there in the NFC East, or the NFC North, should I say. And Aaron had 90 yards. Jamal had 73. Incredible backfield right there. Uh, Devontae Adams did seem to have a, a human game, a normal game, with only 61 yards receiving, but he did have a touchdown, which scores, what is it? I believe that is six touchdowns in the last six weeks, so he's scored six in a row. Uh, yeah, but the uh, Green Bay Packers dominate this. The Bears go from, I believe they were at one point four and one, or no, they were three and one against us, and then I believe they were five and two, and since then they have lost, I believe, three or four in a row, if not five in a row. I can't recall. Hold on, let's double check so I don't sound like an idiot. Um, lost to us. They beat the Bucks by one. So they lost to the Panthers, they lost to the Rams, they lost to the Saints, they lost to the Titans, lost to the Vikings, and they lost to the Packers. So I think that's six in a row. Yeah, the Bears are, the Bears look like poop. So <laughs> I have no idea. Wait, did I even count that right? Because they lost to us. Hold on. I Come on, computer. Panthers, one, two, three, four, five. Yep, six. Yep, it was six in a row. They, all their losses have come. Oh my goodness, that's pretty bad. So yeah, the Bears are five and six. Green Bay's eight and three, handily leading that division over there in the North. So Aaron Rodgers will more than likely clinch that division within the next couple of weeks. And then the final game of the week, not even final, because the the Ravens and the Steelers still have to play on Wednesday. The final game that I saw, the Seahawks and the Eagles. As everyone is well aware, my girlfriend's family is all Eagles, everything, all Philadelphia, everything, right? So in the two years that we've been together, well, two years on December fourteenth. Uh, two years coming up quick, babe. Love you. Shout out to Isabel. Um, even though you haven't listened to a single episode in probably two, three months, so it is what it is. Uh, the Eagles came out flat. The Eagles scored six points in the half. I don't know how it was only six to 14 at half, but the Eagles defense came out there swarming, finding ways to contest, finding ways to contain Russell Wilson. Uh, DK Metcalf single handedly carried that offense down the field because aside from DK, Absolutely nothing else was going other than that Chris Carson 16-yard touchdown in the third quarter. Or was it the third quarter? No. It was the second quarter that where he just dragged like 18 people into the end zone. Obviously, I'm exaggerating. But DK Metcalf single-handedly absolutely annihilated every corner that lined up in front of him, including Darius Slay, in which caused a scuffle early in the first quarter where Darius Slay looked a little out of character. Uh, DK had 10 receptions for 177 yards, averaging 17.7 yards per carry, and is now the NFL's receiving yards leader with 131 yards and I think only 50-something receptions and nine touchdowns. Absolutely insane the man is a freak of nature, and he completely made the Eagles regret not drafting him when they draft J.J. Osaga Whiteside instead of D.K. Metcalf. I believe, I think Jim Swartz made a comment pregame to D.K. earlier in the game where he said, uh, you remind me of Megatron, you're just not there yet. Along those lines, D.K. then said postgame that he took that personal and carried a chip on his shoulder to show him that he doesn't want to be known as Calvin Johnson or Megatron Jr. He wants to be himself. So as I'd stated, I'm going to get a little, a little further in depth. Carson Wentz is playing absolutely horrible this season. Carson Wentz has not played up to par. He has looked absolutely horrible. He has definitely, definitely taken a step back from the level in which he used to play prior to uh, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl and when the Eagles won the Super Bowl before he got hurt. I think people need to comprehend I know I say this like every week, but for those that don't comprehend the sport of football, yes, his numbers are bad. Yes, he's been inaccurate. Absolutely has he made bad decisions. But when you have a lead leading sack number over your head, I believe now he's at 46 sacks for the season on pace to have the third most sacked, to be the third most sacked quarterback in NFL history in a season. 
when you're consistently getting beaten up and battered, and if it's not a sack, it's a QB hit, it's a hurry, it's a rush, he gets knocked down, he falls, something of the sort where your quarterback has to continuously get picked up off the ground, take it from a Colts fan, it sucks. Mind you, Andrew Luck had a little bit more help on the offensive side of the ball in terms of having a little bit more on the, with the weapons. Well, and, and, you know, we had, we had some health. But Andrew Luck got it done. Russell Wilson, another quarterback that did not have one of the better lines in football, also did not have a lot of targets back in the day, but he made it work and he won. But when your quarterback goes from probably one of the best, if not the best offensive line in football when they won the Super Bowl, to an offensive line that has since changed, I think, nine or ten times in terms of lineup and rotations, as well as your lack of consistency with offense and play calling, Doug Peterson is not innocent either. Am I one of those people that is going to sit here and, and, and call for Doug Peterson's head? No. But I don't think that the, the, the rushing to put Jalen Hurts in the same predicament isn't going to make it any easier. So you want to put a rookie quarterback behind that same offensive line with those same receivers that are not getting any separation with the same head coach that is not running plays to help Carson and or the run game. I'm, I'm going to get to the run game in a second because for whatever reason, Doug Peterson doesn't realize that Miles Sanders has, I, I think he's top four in the NFL in yards per carry at over five and he just does not want to run the ball. And that's insane because if you're going to have nine or 10 offensive line rotations and your running back is still averaging those yards, I, I'm pretty sure you need to run the damn football. To start the game, the Eagles draw them off sides. It's a first and five. They don't run the ball not once, and they have a quick three and out. You have five yards in front of you. Your running back statistically averages over five yards per carry. Why not give him a touch, get him in a rhythm? Why are we going to continue to throw the ball? And we, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I am cheering for the Eagles. So I am on an Eagles fan base. I will always be a Colts fan. But the Eagles are definitely my second team, obviously, with, you know, the inheritance through their family. So it is frustrating to see a team that you cheer for suck this bad with no assistance from both the coaching staff and the offensive line. These are not excuses. These are facts. If you're consistently on the floor, you're not going to make precise throws. If you're consistently on the floor, you're going to rush throws. If you're consistently on the floor, you're expected to make a better throw than what you're available to, to make. And when your receivers, just for whatever reason, cannot get any separation, Alshon Jeffrey had his first catch of the year in this game. Absolutely ridiculous. They're missing um, Zach Ertz. Dallas Goddard had a phenomenal game, so that's no excuse. Richard Rodgers has been a, a perfect substitution at tight end number two. Um, you have Jalen Rager, who's been hurt all year, who isn't really doing anything either. You have Greg Ward, another player that... Uh, has come out and made the roster and has impressed in camp and practice, but cannot create any separation. I don't know what it is. And again, I was listening to multiple analysts, multiple reporters say that the time has come to pass the torch. Skip Bayless, I've absolutely had enough with your nonsense. Just because you're a Cowboys fan and you're cheering and saying that Andy Dalton is better than Carson Wentz, that doesn't give you the right to speak stupidity. I just I completely disagree with you in saying that it's time to give Jalen the ball because Jalen was a Big 12 player of the year. He led Alabama to the national championship and yada, yada, yada. When did any of these collegiate statistics matter to you at any other point in time? Other than when uh, Dak Prescott came out of Mississippi State. Like, I, I just why why do these numbers make a difference? What is Jalen Hurts going to bring to the table other than a little bit of the mobility that he had in college and a load of inexperience behind a struggling Eagles offense? What is a rookie going to do? What, what, what does that do? Elaborate to me why any of his collegiate accolades and statistics have to do with a struggling NFL pro offense with an inconsistent offensive line and a head coach that does not seem to coach his way out of a paper bag. I don't understand. A rookie is only going to struggle in situations like that, but Philly being the big city that it is, like New York, like Boston, like LA, the fans are ruthless. They're going to ask for Carson's head on a platter. And again, I'm not making excuses for Carson because he is missing wide open receivers. He is not throwing receivers open. He is throwing the ball late. He is underthrowing the ball. He's overthrowing the ball, and he's holding onto the ball too long. But you cannot put 
an NFL quarterback in Philly's system and expect them to succeed with those issues that I just listed out for you. You and anybody, Tom Brady, Cam Newton, back when he was mobile and healthy and big and strong, Andrew Luck. It just it in that particular Philly situation. If you're not watching the games, you can't really make a comment because there are situations in which you would expect them to run the ball for sure with Miles being hot and they throw the ball deep. Or Carson has literally 2.4 seconds to throw the football. And what does he have to do? After getting sacked back-to-back plays, he has to force the ball into a tight window or force the ball out of his hand so they don't lose yardage, and it's an interception. Or it's a fumble. Now, Carson's had a fumbling problem well before this struggle of this season. He, I think he was like, I think he had the most fumbles since he's entered the league at the quarterback position with like over 20 or 30. I don't exactly. Again, the, the numbers do escape me, but I know that he definitely led the league in terms of quarterback fumbles. So you're going to tell me that putting in Jalen Hurts is going to make the team instantly better? Absolutely not. And everyone's saying that the defense played atrocious. They held Seattle to 14 points in the first half, a total of 23 points in the game. DK did everything that he did, and they stopped Seattle two times on fourth down. So your rush to judgment, your knowledge or lack thereof of football just continues to show when people make comments like this. So I'm just going to I'm going to go over some of these lines here. The Eagles did only have two sacks, but they continue to rush the Seattle Seahawks offensive line and and make Russell Wilson uncomfortable. And this man Alex Singleton, I don't know where he's come from. I don't know what's going on in his head, but he's playing like an absolute animal for 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 Gary and he is just doing everything that he needs to do to continue to make sure that he is on the 53-man roster next season, if not a starting linebacker, because he is playing out of his mind. Darius Slay ends up having eight tackles, mainly because he was getting abused by DK Metcalf, so that doesn't really mean anything. But the Eagles are bad. Don't get me wrong. At 3-7-1, and one, they are bad. The NFC East is atrocious and embarrassing, but people need to understand it is a lot worse than what they see. The stat line, Carson Wentz only had about 40 yards passing in the first half, and he picked it up to go for 215, two TDs, and that late game interception where uh, Shannon Sharp said that it was one of those tight end banana options or Y split options where the tight end has the option to hook down with a curl or turn it into a post. I believe Carson tried to put the post over but didn't see the safety, and Obviously, Goddard bit down, and he instead went for the uh, he instead went for the hook. But he did miss Richard Rodgers over the middle of the field. So, again, Carson is definitely still to blame. Carson definitely needs to get it together and play better. Uh, and for those of you that are unaware of the cap hit that Philadelphia has, if they were to cut him, they would owe him just about. I don't know, maybe over $50 million in dead cap space money, meaning that they have to pay him because that's guaranteed money. Um, If they cut him prior to that, or should I say if they cut him in the next season, I think it's 25 or $26 million. So I think you're stuck with him unless you find a suitable trade where someone's willing to eat that money. So good luck trying to get rid of Carson. I believe Doug Peterson gets sent out before Carson Wentz does. Because Doug Peterson's play calling has been absolutely atrocious. And I'm going to say it again. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely atrocious. Going forward on fourth down is a situation where you just take the points or you just send the ball back and your defense has been on a hot streak. You you you, you, you do it right in there. You, you, you put your defense back on that field. You know you're already down. Your offense has not been consistent enough to go out forward on fourth down. And then have horrible play calls that he does. This isn't the Super Bowl. The Philly Philly or Philly Special, whatever that was called, isn't going to work. And your consistent motions of your receivers and running these sweeps and these horrible screens, not going to work. So they need to figure it out. I don't know what they're going to do. They're projected, I believe, at what, the sixth or seventh pick in the draft. So if they continue to lose, take the high pick, draft somebody useful. And speaking of draft, their GM, Howie Howie Laurie, I I don't know, Howie Long. No, not Howie Long, obviously. Uh... Their GM, <laughs> I heard it like 18 times this morning, but I can't remember it. Their GM needs to be reevaluated for being blind or having some form of an issue because he really went out there and drafted JJ Asaga Whiteside over 
DK Metcalf, and he drafted Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson. And I, 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 I have no idea what it is that they're doing, bringing in players that are just absolutely atrocious. So if they do have a good enough pick, they need to draft somebody to replace Jason Peters. They need to figure out something on that offensive line. They need to bring some form of a help to Carson Wentz if he is going to continue to start or if, even if Jalen Hurts does come in the next week. I I don't know. I'm just not I'm not on the Jalen Hurts train. I love Jalen Hurts. I said it was a great pick to back Carson up, but if if people are really going to claim for it and it, it does end up happening, don't be mad when it doesn't work out the way that you thought it was. And that's pretty much the recap of the week. Um, I'm just going to slide into uh, just a quick little segment for NCAA basketball now that that is completely back in the swing. Um, I'm going to go over the AP Top 25 really quick. We have Gonzaga at 1, Baylor, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, Duke, Kansas, Michigan State, Creighton, Houston, West Virginia, Villanova, Tennessee, UNC, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Texas, Texas Tech, Richmond, Kentucky, Oregon, Florida State, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Arizona State. College basketball, like I had stated, is in full and absolute swing. Uh, Gonzaga's 2-0. Just going over the teams that really do make strides in the season, in my opinion. Uh, Baylor is at 2-0 as well. Wisconsin, 2-0. Illinois, a very surprising school, in my opinion, at 3-0. Duke has their big matchup against Michigan State as we speak. So we'll see what happens there. One of them will fall out of the top 10 because of that. Uh, Kansas slid down to 7 with them having a loss already. Michigan State with 2. Uh, Creighton, a very another surprise school at, at cracking the top 10. Uh, Villanova lost just now or earlier this week. They fall back down to 12. Tennessee is 13. They have not played yet. UNC just won barely over Stanford. And they are 3-0. and And they play Texas at 17 for the... Maui Conventional Championship or the Maui Invitational, I believe it's called. Hold on. Yeah, the Maui Invitational Championship game is tomorrow against Texas. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, we have six freshmen coming in to the lineup for Roy. We have two freshman guards and a lot of bigs. Uh, obviously, our bigs are kind of our bread and butter with Garrison Brooks. And Armando Baycock coming back. Uh, we lose Cole Anthony. We get R.J. Davis and Caleb Love. Two amazing guards. Uh, R.J. actually being from White Plains, New York. So shout out to R.J. Good to see somebody from home out there dominating, doing what they need to do. Um, you know, making a name for themselves and, and uh, showing that New York has a lot more to offer than just being the greatest city in the world. So uh, shout out to R.J. But yes, UNC barely squeaking by. In this game, Stanford obviously not really being known for basketball. Um, very concerning to see them struggle with 23 turnovers this game. Uh, Caleb having the brunt of them and just, you know, lazy lackadaisical passes, uh, traveling violations, just you name it, UNC did it. It was just annoying game to watch from beginning to finish. Scoring 29 points in the first half, thankfully squeaking it out. But we got to play better. We're not even playing ACC opponents, and we're struggling. So, you know, got to pick it up. Again, six freshmen, very inexperienced team, but we got to roll with it and get it together. Um, I am very excited to see us be so young because, you know, sometimes being a veteran in school doesn't always lead you to success. Uh, we got we to gotta, we gotta have some new talent out there. I know we're normally known for having veteran leadership, Garrison Brooks being the only senior on the team, or should I say one of the only few seniors on the team. So hopefully his leadership can carry us to a uh, you know a good NCAA run. Last week, last season having probably one of the worst seasons in UNC history. I, it's hard to talk about. <laughs> it's pretty embarrassing. Uh, but, you know, going to rock with these boys all the way through the end. So college basketball is a little weird this year. No fans in the stadium, obviously, due to COVID. Uh, college basketball being pushed back a start date because of COVID, as well as a lot of teams not having a lot of time, or should I say as much time as they normally do. So we're going to see how long this lasts. Again, COVID restrictions with football has been difficult as well with you know postponement of games, delayed games, players not being available to play. And we all know that college basketball is a very, very, very important season in terms of if it's an ACC matchup, that's going to tr- 
it completely shift the ACC schedule if UNC gets sick, the SEC, and all of the big conferences. So, you know, we will see how the NCAA handles COVID with this. Uh, I just got to reiterate, you know, for everybody going through something with COVID, for anybody that has a family member that has it or, you know, experienced a loss, I do deeply apologize and send my condolences over to you. Uh, it is a serious thing. I know that the vaccine is is coming out to the public within the next couple of months, so hopefully it can calm this down and hopefully we can get back to some form of normalcy. But, you know, like I said, uh, I'm just thankful that Thanksgiving went the way that it did and I got to spend time with my family and I got to speak to the people that I, I care about most. So for those of you that weren't able to due to this horrible virus, I uh, I send my love over to you and I send my prayers. So with that being said, on a positive note, let's... Uh, Let's go UNC in the tournament tomorrow. Uh, let's see if the Colts can bounce back. Let's see if the Chiefs can continue to win. And let's see what happens with this Baltimore-Pittsburgh game because if all of these Baltimore players are out, I think Pittsburgh kind of smokes them. If I have to give a prediction, I would probably say Pitt wins 35-14. Uh, hopefully that defense can get me 20 points because I think, like I said earlier, I'm down like 14 or 15 points in fantasy. And Tyler Locker got me five. So, yeah, uh, your boy needs some points to make it into the playoffs. So, uh, crossing my fingers here, guys. Um, I believe I'm going to be featured once again on the Home Field Podcast for Kyle later this week. I cannot recall which day he did choose. I think it's Thursday. So, the episode will probably come out Friday or over the weekend. So, let's see what happens. Like I said, if you guys aren't already following, it is the Home Field Podcast. He has it on Instagram. He has it on uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast as well as Anchor. So I will be talking to you guys next week and uh, talking to you again soon. Later, guys. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and live in a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. <laughs>